Hello, Net here. So first of all, I'm feeling much better. I am no longer down with the sickness, uh, but kind of as recompense for the schedule being all messed up, I do want to just record this quick bonus episode sharing some of the things that I've learned over the course of Improv Tabletop about GMing improv heavy campaigns as a hope that I might be able to share some of my understanding with other GMs who want to get into running their own improv heavy campaigns. So first I'm going to play for you a clip from a recent episode of the obligatory talkback in which I talk about kind of the balance between how much stuff do I prepare beforehand versus how much do we improvise in the moment. And then after that, I'll share just a few more thoughts to kind of hopefully wrap everything up in a nice little bow. So first, here is that clip from the obligatory talkback. Enjoy. Just to talk about like my process, I want to dig more into the question of like how much is planned versus how much is improvised. Because there are moments where I'll say, yes, I had this thing planned beforehand. There are moments where I will say, yes, that was just made up on the spot. In terms of like the ratio between the two, it is heavily, heavily weighted towards improvised. So as far as stuff that we've prepared beforehand, we've got our campaign tracker where we have each individual person's playbook. We have the crew playbook. We have all of the factions along with their tier and our status with them and whatnot. And that is public knowledge for myself and all the players. And I reference it a lot. But aside from that, I have three notes of personal GM materials that I refer to as we're running the campaign, and they're pretty sparse. According to my notes app, you could read the entirety of my personal GM notes in nine minutes. For like the whole campaign. Whole campaign. Everything you've got planned. Yeah. Dang. So I have one note that is nothing but NPC name rolling tables. <laughs> the Daofei names I did come up with myself, but all of the abider names are actually names from the Avatar Legends core rulebook. Oh, smart. So we've got like the Zixin family. We've got Fen Fang, uh, Day. Those all come from Avatar Legends. Also Tuguslar, which as soon as I said that name, I forgot it. That is why occasionally throughout the remainder of that episode, you will hear a slight pause as I try to remember his name before just settling on the words Jenna's employer. <laughs> so that is the first of my three GM notes. The second is a list of all of the factions, all of the Daofei gangs in Bossing Say. For each of those factions, I have what type of crew they are, where they're located, who their boss is, what their goal is, and then a list of which factions they are either allied or rivals with. And then also on that same note, I have a list of a few other key NPCs who might be important to the story at some point. And then my third and final list has six potential job hooks for you. Why six? Well, because in the Avatar Legends rulebook, for each of the eras representing each of the different avatars, they list six themes or conflicts that are important during that era. So I came up with one job hook for each of those themes. So the ones we've already gone through, abuse of authority, that was, hey, the Earth King is just demolishing whichever businesses he wants to to build the monorail without thinking about how that's affecting the people who already live there. And then loss and abandonment, we talked about how the Yellownecks caused there to be a lot of orphans and now Chin the Conqueror is doing the same thing. So I have those two and then I have four additional job hooks for the remaining four themes and each one is a single paragraph. Some of them are a little bit longer, some of them are a little bit shorter, but like for the one we just did, Loss and Abandonment, here's what I have written. 
The gardeners have opened a soup kitchen called the Cabbage Garden as a front for their cult operations. They prey on orphans and urchins who have nowhere else to go for an honest meal, drawing them in with free food and slowly converting them over to the cult's cause. They're doing a legitimate service for the destitute of the city, but they grow stronger each day. And where are they getting all that food to give away? And that is all I had prepared for that entire score that we went on. Everything else was improvised. The spirit moss, the little door <laughs> hidden in the back corner, Neliao's personal administrative study with the notes and the money behind that tapestry. All of that was improvised. That's a lot of improv in your tabletop, Ned. That it is, in fact. <laughs> How do you do it? Well... Oh, man, you got tabletop in my improv. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you got improv in my tabletop. Wait a minute. <laughs> so with that in mind, like kind of revealing how much I have prepared versus how much we make up on the fly, in a lot of ways, you guys aren't necessarily rolling to see what already exists. You are rolling to see what you can create within the world. So if you walk into a room and you're like, hey, I'm being chased, Ned, is there a place for me to hide? And I ask you for a study roll to try and find a place. You're not rolling to see if there was a pre-existing hiding place. You're rolling to see if there now exists a hiding place for you to <laughs> jump into, essentially. We're having to roll for our improv? Yeah. I like it. So that, that raises a question for me, because out of this crew, I have hands down the least improv experience. Uh, <laughs> if I walked into a hall and said, oh, I'm going to go hide behind the dresser that's in the hallway, right? Would that be acceptable? And instead I'd have to roll something to hide or would I have to roll to see if it exists first? In that instance, like since we're creating this world together and this is something that we have maybe a bit more leeway with in the fake campaigns where there's very, very little mechanical stakes in our fake <laughs> campaigns. But in any instance, where like if you walk into a hallway and say uh i think there's a dresser in this hallway i'm gonna hide behind it if it makes narrative sense for there to be a dresser in that hallway i see no reason for there not to be a dresser in that hallway so like uh, another example might be like oh you like run in this door and see you're actually in Nelio's office without giving a room description. You can go, uh, I'll duck beneath the desk. Yeah. Because of course, yeah, every office has a desk. So yeah, largely speaking, the quality of your role determines what exists within the game world. Nice. You have no idea the power you've just allowed me to unlock. Oh no. I tend to abuse this information. It's called the power of improv. That it is. <laughs> Man, I should have got you a copy of Truth and Comedy for Christmas now that I think about it. All right, so now with all that kind of as our baseline, I want to talk about some of my personal, I guess you might say, philosophy behind how I prepare for improv-heavy episodes. And it all kind of boils down to this idea that as the GM, I step into the world that my characters are inhabiting, and I just make a little mess over there, and I show it to the players and ask them how they want to clean up that mess. So I take a couple NPCs and throw them around. I take a couple, you know, factions, various, uh, you know, everybody has their motivations. We want it to be a living, active world that responds to what the players are doing. So I sprinkle in some of that stuff and then the players step into the room and they're like, ooh, that NPC, I wasn't hoping to see them anytime soon. That's gonna be a little tricky. Oh wait, that other NPC is also here. Those two NPCs aren't supposed to be next to each other. That's gonna be bad. So the, the idea of making 
making a mess is kind of the uh, the thing that has made the most sense in my brain. But essentially, you're setting up a potential scenario for the players based on, you know, what is going on in the world, how the world is responding to what those players are doing. And then without any kind of preconceived notions about how the characters are going to clean up that mess, you just let them have at it. That is something that's very important in improv is the readiness and the willingness to drop any prior plans or prior preconceived notions so that you can respond directly to what the players want to do in that specific moment. So, for example, in Blaze and the Dao Fei, when I gave them the situation with Nelliao the Gardener, I didn't necessarily know that they were going to try and set up Nelliao the Gardener. They might have gone in and just done a full-on assault and taken her out from there. They might have done some of the other things that they potentially talked about. But the idea here is all about maintaining the player's agency as much as possible. And I will acknowledge right off the beginning that this can be kind of freaky, especially for those of us who are coming from a tradition of a game like D&D or Pathfinder, where you plan encounters meticulously beforehand. And I think of like this iconic moment in Critical Role Campaign 1, where, you know, one of the characters is going ahead from the rest of the party and sees this monster, kills it in one hit, and there's kind of that iconic image of Matt Mercer pulling up a piece of paper from behind his DM screen and tearing it in half in front of his players to show them that they just completely ruined this plan that he had. They completely just, he'd put so much effort into preparing this NPC and it all went completely out the window. And, you know, that's that can be a fun moment. And as GMs in those kinds of situations, it can be very difficult to have to throw away all that stuff you prepared. If your players decide that they don't want to go to this town, they want to go to this other town. But the more you play and the more you start to just focus on letting your players do what they want to, the more okay you will be with the idea of throwing away something that you had planned beforehand. But also, if you don't plan anything beforehand, you don't have to run into that terrible moment where you have to tear apart your NPC's information in front of your players. And so that's kind of another thing is this is much easier to do in a narrative heavy RPG system rather than a more mechanically heavy system. In D&D, yes, you can improvise on the fly. You can pull up, you know, Kobold Fight Club online and that can generate an encounter for you with all of the monsters that they need to fight and whatnot. But it's much, much easier to do this in a system like Avatar Legends or Blades in the Dark. Powered by the Apocalypse Forged in the Dark, they are very narrative heavy. They put the narrative first and all the mechanics kind of follow after that which makes it very ideal for this kind of game. In fact, when we were going into our very first Avatar Legends games, the library heist was kind of a case study for me, you might say, because I had this idea in my brain of this idea of making a mess and then just seeing how the players solve it. And so I prepared kind of the beginning of that situation, no idea how they were going to make it through. And I was like, okay, if this works out, then I think we have a viable framework for doing a full campaign. And turns out it was a viable framework. And I had to do very, very little preparation for that campaign. And I've had to do even less preparation for Blades in the Dark. And so that is kind of the, I guess, the Ned Wilcox certified method of running improv heavy campaigns. Make a mess and then just give it to your players and let them solve it however they want to. And you respond in the moment. And yes, it does take practice. I have a lot of practice with improv over my you know, semesters of studying in college and my years of running games for my friends. 
And those of you who don't have as much experience with improv, yes, it will be kind of terrifying at first. But just the more you practice it, the more you, you know, do fail a little bit. That's, you know, part of the thing with failing when you attempt a new art form. You know, I kind of have this belief that when we encounter a new art form, we start it with a lot of bad art inside of us. And just got to get the bad art out as quickly as you can so that you can start getting to the good art. The more experience you have with improv, the more mistakes you make along the way, the more comfortable you will become with improvising. And it definitely also helps if you have an established group of people that you're very comfortable with. I've been playing games with all of the players in Improv Tabletop for years and years. I know them very well. I have a bit of a sense of how they like to play games. They have a bit of a sense of how I like to run these games. And so as intimidating as it will be at first, don't worry, you'll get used to it. Make messes, show them to your friends, and then just have fun seeing how they clean up the mess that you've made. Um, so yeah, that's it. Just wanted to have a quick little update for all of you. I hope this is helpful. And if you have any other questions about GMing, then I would be, you know, maybe interested in doing another one of these little bonus episodes, maybe answer some GMing questions that you have, whether that takes place in an episode that I record or whether I just respond to you directly. Um, I love helping people to get into this hobby. You know, that is part of the ethos of Improv Tabletop. I don't know if I've ever like overtly mentioned this on the podcast before, but part of what we want to do here is to lower the barrier of entry into tabletop gaming because it's very easy to look at a rule book that's the size of a textbook and get scared away by it. And we just want to show people that you can have an amazing time playing these games with your friends with literally zero preparation. You've seen our fake campaigns. We sit down and we just play a game. We improvise the entire thing. And so I hope that we can be an example to all of you out there of how simple it can be to play these games with your friends and how little preparation it takes sometimes. Uh, I think that's going to do it for us here at Improv Tabletop. But until next time, much love and stuff, everybody. I'll catch you later. Mm-hmm.